joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast with your co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. Hello, Kirk. Where are you headed on your train ride? Oh, you know, I just thought I'd visit Japan of all places. Well, it must not be a bullet train because you're bouncing around <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> like you're a like you're in a 1940s uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie, driving a car with the green screen in the background. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to question the uh, validity of this driver. Like, does he have his real license? Because yeah. it's a pretty bumpy road. <laughs> wow, uh, you never cease to amaze me, Kirk, with your creativity. Uh, it's something new every week. But welcome in. I'm your other co-host, Cam, and Kirk is doing a great job of of giving me nice, easy segues into the movie that we are reviewing. And I'm happy to report that Kirk has done that once again by, with his backdrop, by introing us to our film this week, Bullet Train. So this is a movie review episode. I know that we haven't been streaming much, Kirk. And that's... No. That's, uh... There's no way around it. That's a black mark on us, okay? And I will take full responsibility for this week because I was sick, um, and so I canceled. It was not Kirk's choice. I canceled against his will, and I think he's still mad at me about it. Yeah, yes or no? I mean, when you canceled, I pro- I threw um, all of. I was eating dinner. I threw it against the wall. I uh, I broke a window. My right. hand is still healing, and I threw my puppy out the window. I got a brand oh. new puppy. Threw her right out the window because wow. I was so. You are responsible for my puppy's broken four legs. <laughs> oh. Gosh, that's horrible. Yeah, no, Kirk's, you're living the puppy life. I I almost forgot about that. How how's that treating you, my friend? My goodness, it's like having a child, but worse because like having a baby is wonderful because yes. you like look at this wonderful human being. They can't survive without me, but a dog absolutely could survive without me. It can move. My kids were asking mm. me when it was in the car. Uh, we took it for a little car ride and I was like losing my mind yeah. and they're like, well, you know, you know, we, we sh- why is, is this harder than a baby? Yes. Because babies don't move for a very long time. That's true. Okay. It's, it's like a baby, like I, people always get offended when they like, or, or are worried they're going to offend you when they're like, oh, I have a dog. Whenever you have kids like comparing their dog experience to your kid experience. But I've never gotten offended by that because it is very similar. The only real difference is that the, uh, the the ramp is faster with the dog. Like they're yeah. walking immediately. They're adults within like two years, you know, like everything is escalated. Potty training happens like right out of the gate, you know, but it's like, it's like a, having a kid on fast forward, you know? Yeah. And you know, I'm not, I'm not ready for it. Uh, yeah. Just, just candidly, I'm not ready for it and I have no choice but to take care of it. Now I will say, that um, I think dogs sense that they sense who's the stressed one. Yeah. And then they give that person extra love. I kid you not. Like I'm the only one whose face that she will lick like, yeah. in the most adorable way. Um, she will come sit on my lap when, when they're all four of us are sitting around. Like she knows she's it's like survival instincts guy, is what that is. Yeah. He needs me. He's yeah. going to lose his mind. Otherwise. Yeah, so. it's true. And like, like a dog, Dogs these days, people think that dogs are wild animals. Like, dogs that we have now are not. Like, you cannot, 
they are totally domesticated creatures. They like they right. they don't like if, if I let my dog if I just opened the door one day and was like go be free like my dogs would be dead in thirty minutes. This is a guarantee. Like there, <laughs> there's just no chance. In fact, right now as we speak, I have to record with my studio door open because my wife and kids are gone on a trip and my dogs are such scaredy cats that they have to have line of sight to me at all times. <laughs> Otherwise they will start whimpering and crying. Like that is how big of babies they are. So are they like, you're sitting in your studio. Yeah. Can you see them from where you're like, sitting? Literally right my little black dog is sitting right there. Like right, right <laughs> outside my door. He's like, Hey, what are you doing? Like he will freak out if he is not, it's, it's absolutely preposterous. So there will be, a dog movie that somehow we will be roped into reviewing one day. And we, <laughs> I think we should set up our dogs in our studios and give them headphones and speak as them. And yeah. I think it would be wonderful. How have we dodged dog movies so far? There are so many. Oh, I think it's certainly by choice. Like we, there's always been something, but to your point, like eventually like law of averages, we will have to review one. Um, right. So, the only way that I would do so, I think if like this, the next generation's My Dog Skip came out because um, while flawed, that movie is watchable. There's a sure. lot of dog movies that come out like Kevin Costner did a dog movie. Oh, that the dog was Lord. CGI. <laughs> that was not that long ago. No, no. Uh, Milo uh, Ventimiglia, I can never say his name right, of Heroes and This Is Us fame did a dog movie. Wasn't Owen that Wilson. song called like racing cars in the wasn't that movie called like driving race cars in the rain or something weird like that is nothing correct. to do with the dog but it was clearly a dog movie yeah, oh yeah Lord. oh so and did like ryan reynolds do one too or channing tatum there it is channing, channing tatum, tatum did one just called movie. dog which like that one seemed like it could potentially be watchable um so yeah i mean the time is coming kirk it's it's <sighs> it's chasing us but this week we don't have to worry about dogs. So we do have to talk about Channing Tatum potentially because we, we are reviewing the film Bullet Train, um, which is new to theater summer blockbuster. A bit of a different flavor, I think, of a summer blockbuster than what we've seen. This is a, a new entry sort of thing. It's it's not part of an existing franchise. It's based on a book. It's technically original IP, and it's from Sony. So, Kirk, you are on Synopsis this week. Uh, you're going to get us prepped for our spoiler full review of bullet train. So I will give you the floor. <clears throat> we meet our hero ladybug, AKA Brad Pitt, as he returns to work after a very needful rest away from his top secret private spy life. After all, saving the world can be taxing. <laughs> <laughs> Little does he know his past, present, and future are all about to speed up faster than a bullet on a train. Wink at camera. Five other assassins have their own agendas on this fateful night. Snakes on a train meet Snowpiercer in this exhilarating journey through Japan. Now, playing in theaters, Bullet Train. <laughs> Did you say snakes on a train? <laughs> I did say snakes on a train. <laughs> That's awesome. And also the, sequel. the fact that you <laughs> said, on a plane. honestly, how have they not done that? That's like low hanging fruit snakes on a train. There's lots of rhyming there. Snakes in the rain. Like you could do 
<laughs> it's basically it's basically pain. Dr. Seuss at this point for them. <laughs> um, but I also like oh, you man. how you said faster than a bullet on a train. <laughs> which makes me wonder if you were even awake whenever we saw this movie. Um, To that end, I was coming down with a cold. I told you that right before I arrived. I was like, hey, I I am definitely coming down with a cold. I knew it was not COVID, so nobody hand slapped me, and there was like nobody else in the theater, okay? We were were safe. But what I'm saying is I was not with it when when we saw this movie, so I actually went back to the theater today at full health, and rewatch the movie to make sure that I was I was prepped. So I feel like tell uh, me, I'm now locked do you f- in. Do you feel like you remembered everything when you saw it the second time? I feel like there were there were minor things that I that may have been missed the first time I watched it. Okay, like like and minor like I I don't felt like. I, I didn't feel like I missed major plot points or anything like that, but they were, it was, I don't know. It was almost like a typical second viewing where you just kind of like pick up on things the, the second time. But there were yeah. a couple of lines I didn't hear that time that, I, that the first time that I did hear this time. Like, oh, I'm a spy on this train and I'm going to get that briefcase. Like oh that. yeah. Like that the, was the my favorite critical line. plot. <laughs> I really liked that line. That was a good one. Um, or look at me my name is lemon and you are tangerine like if you miss that like you're done you're gone it's it's over for you it's over but no luckily i only fell apart like whenever we first watched it i only fell apart within like the last 30 minutes which at that point i had a decent grasp on things so even though i was like kind of zoning i still feel like i grabbed it but now that i'm fully up to speed let's get into this thing kirk the first award we're going to do is, and the Oscar goes to, which goes to the best actor in the film. Kirk, who did you pick for this award? Well, I like to think that I am, you know, a spitting image of this person, of this actor. I like to think that uh, we have the exact same bodily features, humor, and bank account. Brad Pitt is my Oscar goes to, ladies and gents. I think that... Brad Pitt has had this uh, this enormous pivot in his career uh, several years ago. I would put it all the way back to Burn After Reading, where we saw this completely different color just explode out of him. Um, I recently rewatched an interview with a vampire, and he is the central character, him and Tom Cruise, and Antonio Banderas pops up for whatever reason. Uh, but Brad Pitt, while he does carry that film... He's not great in it. He really is not. And something in his life, whether it be life experience or training um, or yoga retreats, I don't know what it might be, but something in his life turned when he got cast in Burn After Reading and he could really just release his inner feelings and really be actually vulnerable and incredibly handsome, much like myself. I live my life being vulnerable and incredibly handsome. Don't use that as a clip like online or anything. Thank you. Already but, done. But Brad Pitt, what he does in this movie above all else is that he he has this whole playground to be on and he is just jumping from monkey bar to monkey bar, flying down slides uh, into other characters in these incredible fight scenes. I mean, Brad Pitt's in his fifties and is moving faster than the youngest guys on this cast list. Um, You can, you can just tell like it's just built into him after all these years. I love seeing him play. I love seeing him uh, just, 
attack the camera and and know exactly what he's trying to convey in every single frame that he's on screen. There's not a missed beat. There's not a missed moment. So despite this being mostly a comedy and a, a, and a comedic performance from Brad Pitt, it's a true performance and he wins it for me. Yes, Mr. Brad Pitt. Um, surprisingly, my pick is not Brad Pitt. And, and I thought almost certainly going into it that it would be he's obviously top billing one of my favorite actors someone who's turned in tons of amazing performances of late as as you've mentioned kirk um for whatever reason both times i saw this movie the uh the suspension of disbelief was well disbelief was not suspended for me with brad pitt specifically i thought his comedic touch was money but for whatever reason i just felt like you know, it, it could have been, it was certainly the writing at times. It was certainly the lines he was being asked to deliver at times. But for whatever reason, like, at multiple points during this movie, I just found myself being like, I don't know that Brad Pitt fits with David Leach's style to the point where it's just, like, not jiving. I don't know. There was just something off for me. Um, so I don't think he did a bad job. I think Brad Pitt always does a great job, but there was something for me and it could be honestly me personally that just was not clicking there. And it's like, it's almost intangible. Like I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, so okay. I went in a different direction and I, and I actually found this to be pretty difficult in general to evaluate this cast. Cause I thought they all were great. And I thought there were some fun, some fun characters in here, but far and away, the one that I have to give this to is Brian Tyree Henry, um, who plays lemon in this, movie and I love Brian Tyree Henry. I find him to be increasingly one of the people that I am just ecstatic to see on a cast list. Um, loved him in Atlanta, loved him in Eternals, loved him in Godzilla versus Kong, even though I did not like that movie. I think he just brings something. Um, there is in this role is so hilarious. He plays, uh, you know, basically a, a mercenary who he and his brother, um, who's played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, um, are a two man hit team mercenary squad and their banter and their chemistry is positively hilarious. They carry the first 30 minutes of this movie and beyond without a doubt, just by their quips and the way that they engage. But, Brian Tyree Henry is doing so many small things to make his character a hilarious B really feel real and relatable. And his character is evolving throughout the film. So at first you're like, Oh, this guy's just, just here for the comedy. But later in the back half of the movie, his character ends up being one of the only ones who delivers a really meaningful emotional punch, which is something that this movie needs. Um, in the film, his brother Tangerine dies, is is killed, and uh, the way that he expresses himself emotionally as a result of that event, and the way that it changes his behavior as a character, was really thoughtful on his part, and I thought that he did an, an excellent job. Um, but really, for me, like at the end of the day, his role was was there to deliver comedic punch, and I thought he was just and an absolutely amazing comedic actor. And I thought that Aaron Taylor Johnson, um, who did great too, uh, played off of him so well. And they both elevated each other to an amazing extent. But for me, it has to be Brian Tyree Henry. I thought he was spectacular. 
Beautiful choice. Beautiful choice. All right. He's climbing. He's climbing. He is, like man. Movie, I mean, he's which is nice. He, I, like I said, I feel like I see him on a cast list, and I'm like, ooh, okay. You know, like it, it's he's one of those guys that I'm like, okay, this gives this some legitimacy, and he really has um, a lot of exciting projects coming up with some exciting directors. I think, I don't know, man. I, I'm really digging his career path, and I feel like there's a lot more there to still be tapped into. But this one for me was just just loads of fun. Um, mm-hmm. let's talk about scene stealer. Who'd you go with scene stealer? This one was easy. I felt like the moment I saw Aaron Taylor Johnson hit the screen with his, um, I don't know if it's his natural accent. He is English. I don't know if that's the region that he's from or not. Um, but as soon as I heard him speak, as soon as I saw his whole, his whole groove, his whole vibe, man, this, the mustache is perfect. The hair is beautiful. I, I kind of uh, just like uh, grass is always greener on the other side. I kind of love people with dark hair because I've always had light, really thin hair, shine a flashlight behind me. I look bald and his hair is just his locks are gorgeous and he is just absolutely a force. He's on the screen. You can't see past him because not only is he is he this incredibly strong person, but his focus into the camera his focus on his character is locked in and therefore every time he popped up boom lasered right to him um he holds his own with brad pitt who's had you know 50 years of fighting as i said brad pitt was fighting on screen as a baby in diapers but aaron taylor johnson comes in has an incredible fight scene has an incredible death scene like gory and brutal and heartbreaking as well um i I just thought that what he did to light up the screen was really, really spectacular. He played uh, kind of the straight man uh, to Lemon, uh, so that way they could really just like have that that snippy, nippy back and forth, which was just tight and awesome. Uh, I really loved their their dynamic, especially, and I love the humanity in him. Right, like he was he 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 put on this facade of being this like I'm gonna take down everyone. I'm the biggest bad here, but I've got to prove myself. But I've also got a heart. I'm so, I'm sorry to the lovely lady. I didn't mean to be cursing in front of you when I walked by. Like all those pieces, there's like this gentlemanness like quality to him as well in this film, and I really love that. Aaron Taylor Johnson, you know, rest in peace, Quicksilver in the MCU, but resurrected as Craven in the Sony verse. We'll see what happens. I loved you in this performance. Yeah, it's it's one of the most the 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 back and forth between him and Brian Tyree Henry <laughs> is absolutely electric in the beginning, especially the um the Thomas the Tank Engine through line that goes throughout the movie, which is far and yeah. away to me like the thing that just kills. It, it's like a bit that just never gets old, and the way that they weave it into the plot is awesome. Um, and at the end, or when his character dies, and he's, you know, he earlier in the film was labeled one of the other trains. I can't remember. It's not Percy. It's, uh, uh, geez, I can't remember. But at it's the end, Diesel. when Aaron Taylor Johnson's character is dead, Lemon puts a sticker in his hand, says you're more of a Thomas anyway. And it's yeah. like that, that emotional punch. It's like that for me is almost, I, I knew I wanted to pick one of those two guys as the Oscar and I wasn't going to pick the other one as scene stealer because I was like, you know, I didn't want to play up the same bit, but those two guys slayed. 
I mean, they just totally yeah. did from 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 the moment they were on the screen, they killed. And yeah, his accent was absolutely insane and, oh. and totally consistent throughout. So well done. Um, and I've heard him speak normally, so I don't believe he's from whatever northern region of of the mainland England that accent comes yeah. from. But it was it was so good. Um, all right, my scene stealer, and this one was tough, and I am cheating. All right, I'm I'm doing it. I'm I'm cheating. How dare you? I am choosing both Hiroyuki Sonata and Andrew Koji, who um, were just spectacular in this film. I thought they were so good. Andrew Koji is definitely on the come up as an actor, but Hiroyuki Sonata has been doing this for ages. Um, I, I think I may have also given him an award whenever we watched. Uh, Mortal Kombat earlier Ugh. last year, which that movie was rough, but he was one of the the bright spots of it. But they are really the the plot focal point of this movie. They they are at the center of the spider web, and they're also charged with the really difficult task of driving home the dramatic elements of the film in, in what is otherwise a very comedic insane smash mouth kind of action comedy. Uh, but they have to have like the movie has to have a heartbeat and it's up to their characters. Um, both Andrew Koji who plays Kimura and Hiroyuki Sonata, who's only referred to as the elder in the film. Um, those two guys have to provide a heartbeat to the movie to make you kind of stick around to the end to see what's going on. There's this familial relationship. There's this theming of, you know, fatherhood and what that means to be a father and what it means to be a son and, and how to treat your kids and things like that. Um, that ends up being pretty rich, but only because those two were so committed to the performance and to driving home that point, which is definitely necessary because this movie does need more of that. It's the one, it's one of those things that really leaves you wanting in this film is like, you need more of a emotional connection to this film and they provide, you know, them and as well as lemon and tangerine provide the closest semblance of that. But then like Andrew Koji and Hiroyuki Sonata more so drive home because they are more tightly woven into the actual core plot of the film. So I had to give it to both of them because their dynamic was great and I didn't want, I didn't want either one of them to go unnoticed in this movie. All righty. Wonderful. Let's move along to the production. Uh, this movie was directed by David Leach, who I, I always I always enjoy to call out. Um, he's a former stuntman. I think that that's awesome. Um, I want more stuntman turned directors because every movie I've ever seen by David Leach or any other stuntman, like previous stuntman, the, the fight choreography is insane. And the way that they shoot fight fighting scenes is awesome. Um, so... Let me know what you think, Kirk. What was your showstopper for David Leach's most recent installment, uh, Bullet Train? Well, it shows. It absolutely shows because my uh, scene stealer is absolutely my scene stealer. My showstopper, goodness, is found objects. So this is in choreography when you literally find an object and when you're in the middle of a fight and you use that to your advantage. So if I found a pen while I'm beating someone up and I found a pen, I use that as a weapon, right? Whether it's to throw and distract them or to attempt to stab them and use it as, as a something to pierce their skin like a knife, right? So 
all over the place. Uh, one one particular uh, through line with with their found objects is water. So we've got different kinds of water bottles. We of course have the uh, the water bottle that puts. Uh, that puts lemon to sleep and that becomes an actual tool to then attack someone as well and then also there's like a big Voss water bottle later on uh those get like thrown around they roll down the train it's it's fantastic um literally anything anything in sight the the suitcase i know they have a big sponsorship from like an incredible suitcase dealer uh and the way that they move that thing around as you know a critical um a critical point of, of what's going on you know it's got the money for the ransom for the dead son and to, to like there's like neck hits and and throwing it against people's faces and, and landing it against the wall but then that's a distraction and they pull like a glass from somewhere else and it's all over the place when you're just grasping at things just to get in your hand to defend yourself um i probably said this before jackie chan is famous for found object fights fight choreography and fight style and uh just watch like clips of the trailers of the movies that he did in the late 80s early 90s there's little tiny wooden stools that he turns into absolute fighting machines and like deadly weapons to to take out his opponent it's it's pretty cool it's pretty incredible and in order to make that effective you really have to know what you're doing um to 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 cameron's point you know david leach knows where that camera needs to be in order for us to scan the the scope of the room the scope of the fight area the boxing ring if you will to be able to see everything that can't come out of nowhere so the frame that i'm in right now if i grabbed that pen you'd be like where did that come from right you need to see a full um outward scope of things and then zoom straight into it and then see it at just destroy the opponent it's pretty cool when it's done right and it's absolutely done to an expert level here yeah uh something i noticed the first time that that perhaps went over my head or something i noticed this time that i that i probably didn't notice the first time is that brad pitt's character ladybug fights entirely with found objects because he enters the train with no weapon. One of the very first things that happens in the movie is he opens a locker with all the things he's requested. And one of the things that's in there is a gun, which he did not request. And his handler who's played by Sandra Bullock says, take the gun uh, because she knows that he's going to need it. And he's like, ah, it's a simple snatch and grab and I'm not trying to kill anybody. And so he literally spends the entire film fighting people mostly uh, almost entirely in self-defense, but he, he's doing it with briefcases. He's doing it with <laughs> golf clubs and uh, water bottles. And he throws rolls of toilet paper at yes. somebody at some point. I mean, he's doing like, <laughs> he, he has a great fire extinguisher exchange at the end of the movie, like the whole thing. Uh, and also a laptop. He closes a laptop on a, a guy's laptop. finger and then grabs yeah. it and hits him across the face. Like there, there is incredible found object work going on in this movie. So I think that's a great, great call out. It really just elevates. It makes every action sequence feel more real. I mean, you're on a train. You've got no gun. What's going to happen? Like it, it would be right. a lot less realistic and a lot less creative if he just brought a gun onto the train and started blasting away. You know, it's just a lot more practical this way. And it sucks you into the environment because any movie can bring in a gun, can bring in a knife, can bring in a dagger, can bring in a sword. Any movie can do it. But the props master is now even more important than ever uh, in that they they are literally creating the the storyline, the the hits, the dodges, that what's going to actually make contact. What are they going to avoid? You're like, man, that really could have knocked them out, right? So 
that really puts us into the environment and only so many things can come on a train moving at 190 miles an hour or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. All right. My showstopper. Um, I have to go with the cutaways. Um, I, they, they do, they do a lot of storytelling through these cutaways. Uh, this movie is, is, is similar to other David Leach films. Most, most notably Deadpool two, um, in which it has a, a certain level of self-awareness. There is a, a bit of fourth wall breaching that's going on, um, but they they use a lot of cutaways, flashbacks specifically to tell the story. They'll do things like 47 minutes earlier, or they'll go back to some exchange that two characters had in a different location at a different time that explains their history. Uh, they cut away to all sorts of ridiculous things like, Here's a cut of this Japanese uh, cartoon that is, you know, the basis for the character that you're seeing dancing around on the train. Um, there's all kinds of it. And it, they're especially important because this movie takes place on a train, right? So if you don't use that as a storytelling mechanism, then you're literally on a train for two hours and seven minutes. And that is too long to be on a train. And even though the production design team did a spectacular job making all of the different cars um, have their own feel and making the train feel like it's a different place in every scene, these cutaways are totally necessary. And they all felt... It didn't feel like there was ever too much. It felt like they were all well thought out. Um, sometimes whenever you see somebody use that uh, strategy to as a narrative tool, they overdo it or underdo it to where it feels like, why are we doing this only every once in a while? But Quentin Tarantino is really good at doing this. He did this in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I thought was spectacular. And I thought that the usage here was great too. It's it's It felt <laughs> to me this movie at its best felt like Guy Ritchie meets Wes Anderson or maybe perhaps Guy Ritchie meets Edgar Wright um, in the ways that they were using the cutaways and the ways that they were using the quick pans of the camera to show certain things that were out of scene. Um, the really crafty stuff that just really helps to keep the audience engaged in a movie that is, it, it is engaging in itself, but I don't want to tip my hand too much in direct into director shoes, but this movie needed the cutaways. It needed it desperately to help it um, make it through. So, all right, Kirk, let's move on to the other side of the coin. Uh, what kinds of notes do we have for our directing team, writing team? What, what are your director's shoes, Kirk? I think what is troublesome in this movie for me is the use of perspective. So perspective is, of course, who are you following? What person's storyline are you following? Um, in this one, it seems so heavy handed at the beginning of this movie that we're supposed to follow Brad Pitt and his journey. And it seems that way for a while. And then we all of a sudden we meet lemon and tangerine and then we're with them for a while. We kind of forget about Brad Pitt, but then he pops back in pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Um, but then, then we get a lot of time with the son and the elder, and then we get a lot of time with Joey King's character. And so it bounces around a little bit. It gets shared a little too much. And I think this is in all in the introduction and critically in the introduction of Brad Pitt's character, Ladybug. When you start a movie so concise 
and dead on, you've got Brad Pitt in that frame and nothing else is happening. He's on the phone with a mysterious voice that turns out to be Sandra Bullock walking down, uh, going to the, the, the train station uh, to get his security bag. And it seems like this movie is about Brad Pitt's character. We're getting lots of information about what's going on in his life, the mystery breadcrumbs, where, where has he been? What happened to him? Why did he take a vacation? Um, who is this Cooper guy that he's filling in for? All these things. And then we pivot and we pivot and we pivot. Not like quick cuts, not like Michael Bay pivoting. Like there are it's good that we have substantial pivots to the other characters because they are in their own rights good characters, well-written characters with mostly full uh, arcs that we get a full finish for, for most of them. Um, and ironically, the person that we don't get the full arc for really is Brad Kitt, Brad Pitt's ladybug. I believe that we don't get a full resolution. He turns into um, more of a caricature and, uh, more and more as the movie goes along. There's a long scene where he plays with the bidet, uh, which takes a really long time before we return to it, where he uses it um, to does he use it as a weapon or does he use it to, to cure himself of some, of some kind of uh, bite or something. But either way, that's what is the most frustrating to me. I think that you could have slimmed down this cast list to um, help that so that way you wouldn't have to split time so much in this short amount of time. Um, the dead son, I mean, we didn't have to spend that much time with him. Logan Lerman, you know, rest in peace uh, in this movie. He's still alive. Uh, I think that the elder, while I love the storyline, I love the storyline between him and his son. I think that opening up on that and the grandson, is critical to how this how this works but what i would have really loved even though i love michael shannon so much i would have loved if the elder actually turned out to be the white death in order to merge some characters and give us a total flip on its head and to uh to really make us question our our morality make the son question the morality maybe the elder kills his son but still wants to save his grandson so then the grandson was never in any real danger i feel like there could have been some other twists in this movie that would have been palpable that would have been reasonable there were just too many things that we had to split for and Finally, while I loved the Thomas the Tank Engine uh, jokes and through line, I really, really did. There were just two moments, like really just two moments where you could tell it was improved on, like it was a little bit of a fun run. And I was like, eh, reaching just a little bit. So I wish that the director would have caught those just two tiny, tiny moments and pulled them back just like that. Yeah, I think I think you're right on the money with a lot of that stuff. I think uh, the balancing thing is 100% an issue in this movie. I think that... Um, it, it's just it's it's just too much. These chunks are too much at a time. It's like there has to be more cut up. And by the time like you get the scene where Brad Pitt uh, sees Bad Bunny, um, who's playing the wolf outside yeah. the train, and he gets stabbed, and then you cut away, and it feels like you're gone from them for twenty minutes. And by the time it goes back, and you're getting the whole backstory of the wolf, you're like. Why do I even care about this? So I feel like the balancing, the edit could have definitely been trimmed. This movie is a two hours and seven move, two hours, seven minutes long movie could have been an hour and a half for sure. I think to cut this out. So for me, my director shoes is very similar to yours, Kirk. It's, it's mainly just, um, the payoff does not meet 
what the movie sets up. And I know I'm not saying that eloquently, so I apologize. But basically, it's like the plot of this movie is convoluted. And they have to do a lot of bringing you along for the ride, including at the end where they literally recap everything that's happened in a sort of whodunit sort of way because they know that it's been a long and winding road to get to the end, to get to Michael Shannon's character, who is the white death. And you're, you're trying to put all the pieces together because they've been so spaced out and all over the place. And also they're, they're not that tightly woven together. Like the, the way that Zazie beats his character and the wolf are tied into this thing is a bit of a stretch. Um, And so they're almost, almost completely unnecessary as characters. And so the whole thing is very convoluted, but then the payoff is the problem. So plots can be convoluted if the payoff is worthwhile and if all of those pieces make sense. And I will say that like with the world that, and the, and the, the plot that David Leach and his team have created, the they're checking the boxes, they're connecting the dots, they're connecting the lines on the web, on the, uh, you know, the sort of like, corkboard right they're they're connecting all of the lines Chekhov's gun they're doing a great job everything that's mentioned has a purpose etc 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 but it's just a little bit too bloated and then you get to the end and the ultimate payoff is like thematically the payoff is like oh luck is a matter of perspective the people who thought they had bad luck actually have good luck from a certain perspective and the people who had good luck are the people who ended up dying and so it's all comes down to fate and that whole thing that theme of like it's just fate and it's your perspective on it is just not very rich and it's literally like the sole theme in the whole movie and the sole payoff that brad pitt's character gets to so when you get to the end you're like okay like kirk said why is brad pitt my main character doesn't really make sense. Uh, and once you get the payoff, you're like, okay, then it kind of makes sense, but it's, it's just not very, it's very blah, you know? Um, and then you're like, okay, well I just went down this long and winding road with all these characters and really like only a handful of them are actually relevant to what's happening. I think the wolf could have been cut out. I think Zazie beats his character could have been cut out. Um, I think that in a way to, to your point, Kirk consolidating between the white death, the elder and the son should have been done somewhere in there to trim it up a little bit, as well as Logan Lerman's character. Who's not totally necessary. There's just a lot of bloat and there's a lot of convolution in this plot. I don't even know if that's a word, but it makes it overly complicated and it makes it. So when you get to the end, you're like, okay, now I've picked up all these details and I know where we're at, but do I even care? Do I actually care about how we got to where we got? Because to me, the white death getting his head blown off at the end is not a good payoff. Joey, Joey King's character getting run over by the tangerine truck. I just really don't care. I, like I'm happy that the son, um, Kimura, I'm, I'm happy that his son is alive but that could have been touched on a lot more. Like that should have been the emotional through line of this movie. And you could argue that they should have been the main characters of the film rather than Brad Pitt's character. Who's really just on this like weird soul searching mission and ends up getting not that great of an answer. So it's like all of that stuff dilutes what is otherwise a very fun, fast paced, funny uh, action movie and makes it to where you get to the end and you're like, why did I, why did we even watch all this? What was the point of all that? 
Yeah, it became it didn't it didn't quite know how farcical it wanted to be. It didn't quite know uh, it did a, a reverse, right? It's not knives out. You know exactly who the killers are. They're all over the place, right? Everyone's killing everyone. Here's who they are. And it's about the orchestration of those characters uh, is what it came down to. So you have great visuals, great fight scene, honestly, a, a pretty cool, a good core plot. And those other things just keep it off balance. Like you said. Yep. It's uh, it hurts too, because like you said, Kirk, like so many of the things are done well. And like, like I said, even even the plot that they came up with um, is good, and yeah. it's all really tightly pieced together. But the problem is that the reward, the payoff that you get, is just not there, and you don't feel because of the balance issues that you talked about, Kirk. You don't feel overly connected to any of these storylines to the point where you maybe you feel connected to one, but I would almost guarantee. It's not the one you should feel connected to at the end, which is the son, the elder, uh, and the white death. I mean, I felt very connected to white death and how he needed to just kill everybody. That's how I feel on a right now. Yeah, you might want to talk to somebody about that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) All right, let's get into it, Kirk. Final thoughts and scores on Bullet Train. I think this is a tough one to score, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. It is tough to score. It is. I feel like when we hit the bidet scene with Brad Pitt, I put a number in my mind and I stuck with it. I said, this movie is about blank out of 10 kernels. And I said, change my mind. You know, the guy with the table. And I I just watched and I watched and I said, yep, that's about right. That matches up. I'm still enjoying myself. I didn't like that. You know, a whole range of emotions that I was going through. Um, It's just... Oh, man, it's a fun, it's a, literally a fun ride. Um, it is exhilarating from top to bottom. You're never bored, but you do at times uh, question, why are we sitting between uh, cars here? And we've already had this same kind of transitional conversation of, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get off at the train at the next stop and we're going to talk to these people. Uh, th- like though, like specifically that, right? The white, the white deaths people like still like the imminent threat of them doesn't feel so imminent. They keep coming in, but it's, it's just like a joke and it's not even a funny joke. They're just kind of appearing, appearing, appearing. And then you still have Brad Pitt talking to someone uh, in between cabooses. You're like, this is this is too much. This is too much. Despite that, there is something very charismatic about this movie. It could be that every single character, or I'm sorry, every single actor is very charismatic, top to bottom. You just want to watch them. This movie, it's, it's an enigma to me, but I'm giving it an 8.3 out of 10 kernels. It's fun. It's flashy. It's doesn't make sense all the time, but it is very, very compelling uh, from an entertainment perspective. 8.3 out of 10 kernels tonight. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of points that I'll probably touch on as well, but I think that the the production quality is really high. And like even the, there, there will be people who certainly point to the sort of campiness of the special effects at times, but it's all consistent and it's all stylistic. And it's something that if you've seen David Leach films before, you will recognize certainly with Deadpool two, it's a stylistic choice. There's a reason that things look the way that they do. Um, and I happen to be a fan of it. I happen to be a fan of David Leach's style. I think I liked Hobbs and Shaw more than most people liked it just because it's a 
good time despite the fact that the characters and the acting and things like that are not great it's just a fun blockbuster action movie and this is in a similar vein i think i will like this movie more than most people i i dig what david leach is about and what he does and what he's done here is made something that's just really aesthetically pleasing like it's it's fast the action sequences are thoughtful funny interesting unique um and that's pretty much enough for me for this movie. When you see the trailer for this movie, you're like, this looks like it's going to have some awesome action set pieces. And you would be 100% right. It does. It, it has all of those. It checks all of those boxes. And where it falls short is certainly on the story end, which hurts it. It does. Um, I think because the movie's a little bit long in the tooth, um, could have been trimmed down a little bit. And it's also just like I've said a thousand times already, you just don't get quite the payoff that you'd like to get at the end. But is it rewatchable? Certainly as my dog shakes his ears in the background, don't know if you guys could hear that uh, because now he's moved into the room and is now openly harassing me because he wants he would to, like to, to get his score after you. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, it's, it's very rewatchable because the action sequences are fun. The jokes hit, and they hit hard. They're very funny, um, certainly in the first half of the movie. And so I have to agree, Kirk, there's a bit of likability about this movie, even though it's certainly flawed, uh, certainly flawed. But the flaws aren't really in the technical side, which is why it makes it such a enjoyable watch. So for me, I'm giving a 7.4 out of 10 kernels. Um, have to imagine that a, a lot of critics tore this thing up. I don't know for sure because I haven't looked yet, but I probably will as soon as we get off here. But I just think like as far as a popcorn movie, this this checks a lot of boxes. It's a lot I feel like it's more than a popcorn movie, but it does fall short of being like a thoughtful action film entry for the ages. Yes. Um one thing that I forgot to talk about entirely is partially when this movie crosses like a full a full point <laughs> is when about a quarter of the way through the movie when brad pitt first meets uh, aaron taylor johnson and they fight and they blow a hole through the train yeah and they fight outside of the train like they're not superheroes like they yeah would absolutely die <laughs> right you know? well i like, know but like within the rules of this story for some reason that works like uh, like I get what you're saying, but then at the end there's that crash, right? That's just absolutely insane. Like Brad Pitt goes flying yeah. through the train and yet everyone who was on the train survives. survives. Every single person is alive. <laughs> they have derailed a bullet train going at top speed. They reached end of the line derailed train cars everywhere and everyone survives. I like, feel like that's more believable. <laughs> well, yeah, they were literally we holding go. on to like, Aaron Taylor Johnson was holding on to Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt was holding on to the open door of a yeah. bullet train as it was moving at like 300 miles an hour. So that's when I got really disappointed because I feel like it was the wrong moment for that pressure release of, you know, everything's building, everything's building. We need something big. Boom. Blow a hole in the wall. Like, nah, that's not the right choice. He it's also, not the right Aaron one. Taylor Johnson also dives onto the train as it's leaving the station yeah. and punches a hole through the black windshield to get in. So, like, he does. There, there is a decent amount of insanity happening in the <laughs> latter third of the movie, I would say. Like, 
I'm not getting on that train. My ticket, I'm canceling immediately. If someone can punch their way through the glass <laughs> of this train no that's kidding. going a million miles an hour. Yeah. I think he also injured himself uh, doing that stunt, if I remember correctly. There there was a report yeah. that he like lost a chunk of his hand doing a stunt and oh, passed out on set. So I think my guess is that it's that one. I haven't looked into the details. So um, that's bullet train. <laughs> I think... Man. As far as a summer action film, I would definitely put this on the must-watch list for 2022. I think you got to go see it. Um, we always recommend that you go see it, no matter what score we give it, because who the heck cares? We should all be watching everything and liking some things and hating some things and arguing with our friends about whether movies are good or bad. That's the fun of all of this. But those are our thoughts on Bullet Train. We'll be back next week. I'm not going to say we're going to have a stream because I feel like I'm cursing it somehow. I've said it two weeks in a row that we're going to have a stream and things keep coming up. So I'm just just going to like, we're not having, yeah, right. Let's like reverse engineer this. I'm not going to say anything about what's happening next week because truthfully, I don't know. We'll just let the Lord decide what happens with our podcast next week. But until that time, thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to like subscribe, rate, review, comment, all of those things. We're so glad you're here. We want to give a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs and the band rhetoric. We will see you guys next week. Talk to you then. Bye.